And would you call on Him, even if all appearances say that you're doing fine, would you call on Him this morning to fill you up, to quench the thirsting in your soul? Would you pray that prayer this morning? Would you trust Him? All right? Different question, though. How many of you had a stressful week? Anybody? Okay, yeah. All right, good. Okay, all right, good. Really honest over here in this corner. That's good. I like that. All right. <laughs> That's so good. All right, so, so lots of folks, okay? Um, how many of you had a week that you were sort of surprised at how stress-free it was? Anybody? Cup, thank you. Good. We got it. Good. Very good. All right. You know, I, I was looking as I was preparing for the sermon, I, I looked and found the, what's called the, the Life Change Index Scale. Otherwise known, it says in parentheses, the stress test. Now, some of you might have had a, a physical stress test before. I've had one of those. And, and you understand that they put you on the treadmill and you're walking literally straight up for, for three hours. You know, that's, that's what they do. At least that's what it felt, you know. And so, you're, you know, you're sweating profusely after the first five seconds. It's like, what happened? And so you've had that before, maybe. But I know all of us understand what the stress test of, of life is like. This little index, what it does... Is it, is it gives a score for each event that can happen in life. And these are sort of some milestone events, maybe some smaller ones. For example, you would get 11 points on the stress test if you had a minor violation of the law. Not sure what that exactly would be. Maybe a speeding ticket. We won't, we won't ask folks here how many of you have gone to Eddie Clyde Hale and said, look, i got a ticket. Can you fix this for me? Can you help me? Please. You know, well, we won't go there, all right? So far in seven years, I've yet to do that. Not yet. I'm waiting. I'm, I, you know. but, but maybe a, a minor violation of law. Stress, you get 13 points for going on vacation. It's supposed to be stress-free. You get stress points for this. Christmas approaching gives you stress points. Now listen, it's August. Christmas is approaching. You're going to see it at Walmart here real soon. It's approaching. That's the way it is. If you take out a mortgage, they give you stress points. A son or daughter leaving home, of course. Some trouble with the in-laws, you get stress points. Um, You begin or you end school, things like that. And then it gets all the way to the really major events of life, things like marital problems or divorce. You get fired at work, the death of a spouse, physical problems, and so on. And we know those things are major stressors. And the way that this works is you go through the index and you add up your score, and if you have 300 or more points, then it says here the likely, likelihood of illness in the near future is about 80%. So don't take this. if you know. I mean, that'll, that'll send you right over the edge. You get there, and now you're 100%. So if you have less than 150 points, then you've got about a 30% chance of having some, some physical, some issues, whatever. What I've found is that sometimes the stress of life comes from those big-time events. And, and maybe that's where you've been. I think for others, and maybe, maybe this is where I find my stress, it's the recurring things that I think maybe will go away, and they just keep coming back. You know, I just, I just what's going to happen today? You know, you ever, you ever wake up like that, and you sort of wake up in a cold sweat, and you're saying, what's going to go wrong today? No, something's going to happen that's going to cause me some stress, and maybe it's going to be the same stuff, but something is going to happen. And maybe that's how you approach every day. All right, I'm going to get up and I'm just ready because here it comes. And that may be the stress. Now, here's what I've found as well. 
in my own life and just through reading about this, constant stress, of course, builds anxiety. And you begin to fear and you begin to to wonder what's going to go wrong. And that can lead to depression. And depression can lead to compounding fear. And what we wind up is is sort of a, a group of people, individuals that that are just kind of scared of what's coming next. You don't know, and you're fearful of the unknown, and you're not sure what's going to happen. And so this morning, we're going to look at a question from Jesus. that He asked his disciples in a moment that they were overwhelmed with stress and anxiety and fear. And they were overwhelmed with it. Their lives, their very lives were in danger, and they were scared to death. And the question that Jesus has the audacity, the audacity to ask them is, why are you so scared? Why are you so afraid? What what are you guys afraid of? We're in a series that now we're on the second week of, total of eight weeks, called Red Letter Questions. If you look at the words of Jesus printed in most Bibles, you'll find them in red letters so that they stand out a little bit. And the questions that he asks, of course, are also in red letters. So the red letter questions is what we'll look at over the next several weeks. Jesus was great at asking questions. If you've ever known a really, really good teacher, a good conversationalist, somebody who who has an impact on other folks, they are great at asking questions. Very penetrating questions. Questions that almost catch you off guard. And like, how in the world were you thinking that? That's exactly what I'm dealing with. And, And Jesus was great at that. And so we're going to look at these questions, really, that, that are, are meant, I'll be honest, this whole series is not meant just to be a novelty. Well, let's look at the questions Jesus asked. That's kind of a neat sermon series to preach. If I wanted to impress people with a neat sermon series I preached, I would go to all my preacher buddies and say, what do you think of this one? I'm not trying to impress you this morning with a sermon series. I hope that it really does arrest us right in the middle of where we are. Stop us in our tracks when Jesus says, why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? The questions had a tremendous impact when Jesus asked them way back when, and they still, if you're willing this morning, they can still change your life. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. If you've got a Bible, get that handy. The, the, the handout there in your bulletin has the Scripture. I've put the Scripture on the screen this morning. We'll put that up when we read it. Lots of different ways you can access it. There's a little code there if you're new with us. A little code there that's on the, the sermon outline. If you've got a smartphone or a tablet with a, with a scan app, you can scan that. It'll pull up a link. And you can add some, some of your own notes. It's an excuse to, you know, to be on your phone during church. All right? Don't text me. You'll distract me. But that's... That's the deal, all right? It's happened before. Um, so, so anyway, um, Matthew chapter 8. Let, let's look at it together, and, and then we'll get an idea here of what's going on. And we'll come back to it and, and just work verse by verse. As he got in the boat, he being Jesus, his disciples followed him. Suddenly, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. But he said to them, why are you fearful? You have little faith. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. Verse 23 transitions from other episodes here. Uh, When he says he got into the boat, he, he had just done some teaching on discipleship. 
Uh, what does it mean to follow Jesus? And, and Matthew's gospel leads up. It, it, there's some healings there and, and some teaching about what it means to follow Jesus. One person comes to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> and you almost look, see Jesus just kind of laughing, saying, I've heard that before. And he responds in Matthew chapter 8. He says, he says foxes have dens and, and all the animals are taking care of the place to rest. He says, but the Son of Man, talking about himself, I have no place to lay my head. Essentially saying, you willing to follow me there? You good with that? I mean, I, listen, I, there's no guarantee of tomorrow with me, you Okay. You want to know what, what discipleship or relationship is G, with Jesus is about, then look at what he said in response to, I'll follow you wherever you go. He says, I only have a place to lay my head. If you're cool with that, come on. And you can almost see the guy kind of backing up and saying, well, um, yeah, okay, I'll think about that. I'll talk to you later. I mean, you know, then another person comes to Jesus and says, well, hey, look, I'm willing to follow you, but, but I, need some, I need to take care of some family business. In fact, he says, let me go bury my father first. A very serious thing. And Jesus responds almost, it seems, with, with, with no compassion. He, he essentially tells him, let somebody else take care of that. You follow me. He's making the point, of course, that following Jesus stands above everything else that we do in our lives, even more important than our own family should be to us. And he leads into this, he gets into the boat, and his disciples follow him. And what's interesting is they have no idea what they're getting into. They're willing to get into the boat. Let's give them credit. I mean, we get on the disciples all the time. We read this with 20-20 hindsight and say, well, you should have known that Jesus was going to take care of you. They're human. Anybody ever freak out before? Okay, you know what the disciples felt like from time to time. They get into the boat, follow Jesus, and it says in verse 24, suddenly, that's without warning, a violent storm arose on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. <laughs> My favorite verse in the whole passage, but he was sleeping. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute. They were on the Sea of Galilee. And it was, it, it was known uh, and loved for its fresh water, consistent temperatures. It was below sea levels, so the, most of the time the temperature was the same all year. Just very mild, very peaceful. But on the east and west were mountain ranges, and what would happen was that out of nowhere, winds would blow over the mountains and stir up a storm. And of course, they didn't have the, the weather app on their phone back then, and so they didn't know it was coming. You know, they didn't pull up, uh, you know, Jennifer Rukavina on, on WPSD. You know, they weren't following Bo Dotson on Facebook. I mean, they didn't, you know, they, I don't know who, whatever your flavor is, okay? You know, they didn't have all that stuff, and so storms blow up, and they have no idea that it's coming. Suddenly, without warning... Now, my question is, what did Jesus know before he went to sleep? Now that we don't get any indication here, so I'm going to try to read something into the Scripture, and we understand that Jesus, being fully God, completely God, was also fully human. And there was some limiting of his God-like qualities, if you will, in a human body. There were times when God the Father would let him know some things that nobody else knew, but Jesus walked around... Although completely God, he walked around with human limitations. So we don't have any indication that he knew there was a storm coming. But I just wonder, what if he did? I mean, what if God the Father had impressed on him, God the Son, hey, I'm going to blow up a storm here in just a minute, and we're going to teach these guys something. You almost see Jesus, he's laying down, and he says he's asleep. So he knows he's asleep, but I'd have been faking it. I've just been watching him. 
just faith. These guys needed to learn a lesson. And whether Jesus knew that the storm was coming in his omniscience or whether God the Father just blew it up and then here's Jesus taking it just like everybody else, one thing he certainly knew was that if they were going to learn what he wanted them to learn, then a calm sea couldn't teach them that. For them to understand more about him, for them to follow him more closely, calm waters weren't going to cut it. And folks, don't miss that this morning. Don't miss it. Don't miss the fact that Jesus taught some of the greatest lessons, some of the lessons of faith that could be learned nowhere else. He taught them in the middle of storms that came over the mountains out of nowhere. He was going to teach them something about discipleship, following Him, trusting Him. That was a theme in Matthew chapter 8. He was also going to teach them an awful lot about the authority that he has over even the wind and the waves, which was also a theme in Matthew. The truth is, in your life and mine, I think we know this, we learn so very little about following Jesus, so very little about his authority when everything feels like it's under our control. I I question the depth of anyone's faith who's not been through the storms. I'm not saying that you don't have faith in God. Don't don't take me wrong. But the depth of faith, the anchoring, the concrete nature of faith is developed through storms. You may think, well, I've just done everything wrong. I guess all these storms, I've caused them all. I don't know if you have or not. But the anchor to your faith is settled, is driven deep because of storms. Because of things you can't control. Because things went haywire and you didn't know what to do except trust Jesus. That's when you learn to trust Jesus. If you want to know Him, if you really want to follow Him, if you want to understand what He's capable of in and through you, then realize that none of that is possible without some times when you feel like everything is overwhelming and out of your control. Suddenly it says... Without much warning, a violent storm arose on the sea. Matthew uses a word here for storm that's better rendered earthquake. It was as if the earth shook and everything was in chaos. I don't know if you've ever felt an earthquake or not. I don't remember ever feeling one. I do remember, however, oddly enough, pertains to baseball... The 1989 World Series between the Giants and the Athletics. Out in the San Francisco Bay Area. And before Game 3 of that World Series, as the pregame show is going on, I know you are all watching it. I know you were. Play along. You see the screen kind of go out a little bit. and The guys are talking and he says the very last words Al Michael says before they get cut off is, I think we're having an earthquake. And that was it. And you remember that earthquake, 6.9 I believe it was on the Richter scale. And you see the devastation. Matthew uses a word that says it was as if they're in the middle of a devastating earthquake. That's what it felt like, the wind and the waves. A very violent, surprising storm. And they're obviously terrified. The Jews were not really fond of water. If you read the Old Testament, water is a symbol of chaos. They didn't like it much. They were land people. They, they, they would have lived here only if you made them because water is too close. They're not going to the lake. They're not going to do it. But some of these guys were fishermen. 
So you figure they had been on the sea before when storms had blown up. But this one seemed different. This one was violent. This one was, was different. The boat is being swamped, which means you can't see it anymore in the, in the waves. It's, it's, it, the waves are crashing over it, and if you were trying to find it, you'd never see it. And they're terrified. And what's Jesus doing? Sleeping. The word there means indifferent. He's indifferent. At least that's the way it appears. How in the world can you be asleep? You ever wondered, God, are you, are you, are you paying attention? Do you know what's going on here? Apparently, Jesus is not worried. As a human, he was worn out from a day of preaching and healing and dealing with people. He's just tired. And as God, he's got it all under control. He could appear to be, well, I, you know, everything's fine. He could just go to sleep because he had it all under control. Verse 25, so the disciples came to him and woke him up saying, Lord, they're screaming at him, Lord, save us, we're going to die. The storm's not going away. It wasn't, you know, one that just blows up for 10 minutes and is gone. It's not that. It's not going away. The boat's taking on water. It's about to capsize. And they turn to Jesus, understanding that he is the only one who can take care of them in this desperate, life-threatening situation. They don't fully understand him, but they know that much about him. They understand that he has been sent from God, and he has unique power and unique identity. And so they call on him in this very unique moment to say, Lord, we need help. Save us. Rescue us. We're going to die. Now let me just tell you, this is not an allegory. This story was not written so that we would just say, you know, in the storms of life, not exactly. It has those applications, no question. But they were in danger. Their physical lives were threatened. This was a real thing that happened to them. So it isn't meant for us just to automatically allegorize and say, well, you know, when you encounter storms of life and you feel like things aren't going your way, just lean on Jesus, go wake him up, and he'll get to work for you. That's not the story. It doesn't get any more serious than having your life threatened. Some here today may be going through something that is every bit as dangerous as what these disciples faced on the sea that day. And maybe you feel as if your life, your very life is on the line. And we all certainly know how emotional and mental and psychological issues can make us feel as if we are going to die or would rather die. We all know how that feels. This was a very dangerous situation. They felt as if they were going to die. Jesus said to them, Why are you fearful? <laughs> you of little faith. He says, why are you fearful? Why are you so afraid? Fearful there means cowardly. It means they're timid. They lack confidence. The word is used for us describing somebody who always runs away at the first sign of danger. A coward. Jesus says, why are you being cowards? Those are tough words. You may say, well, I, you know, I've always looked at Jesus. He's, boy, he's just loving and, oh, he's just mild and meek and all of that. Jesus was not mild and he was not meek in the sense that we want him to be meek. Jesus was bold and he was in your face and he was challenging and he was loving all at the same time. And it's possible to be that way. But when he stands up and looks at them, he says, guys, you all are a bunch of cowards. Don't you get it? But he also loves them. 
You know, it seems like a stupid thing to ask. Uh, Why are you so afraid? Well, uh, Jesus, uh, we're going to die. Seems to be a good time to be scared. You know, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. You know, your fight or flight, you know, kicks in. And and look around, Jesus. We're in a storm like we've never seen. I'm a pretty good reason to freak out at this point. Think we could be scared and everybody would be okay with it. Now, there's something, though, about their faith in Jesus that causes them to wake him up, to say, Lord, you're our only hope, but also stop short of practically trusting him in the midst of when everything is chaotic. They have faith because they got in the boat, if you remember, and followed him. But their faith is inadequate. It's not functioning properly. They place about as much faith in Jesus as they figure he has ability to help them. And that's where it stops. They, they know some of who he is. Enough to call on him for rescue, but their faith stops short of really a full understanding of who he is and what he's capable of. And I'll be honest with you. What I've found in my own life, and having read the scripture and been a Christian for a while... I believe that real faith isn't some nebulous thing that's sort of out there. Real faith is the practical stuff of daily life that challenges and it changes your emotional and your behavioral response when everything goes wrong. That's real faith. Real faith includes maybe a statement of faith. I believe this, this, and this, certainly. But real faith in Jesus is seen when everything goes wrong. Your emotional, your behavioral response, when everything goes wrong, real faith is very practical when you're scared to death. Jesus then got up, it says in verse 26, and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the sea obey him. He gets up and he speaks very sternly to the waves, and he says, knock it off. Stop. Jesus wanted the disciples to understand more of who he is, the authority that he has. Understand Matthew is not driving home the point that in your storms of life, just call on Jesus. That's part of it. But he's displaying, here's who you're calling on. The one who controls the sea, the one who has authority, that's who you're calling on. That's who Jesus is. He wanted them to know more about him so that they could trust him more. Trust him completely and fully and without fear. When it says there was a a great calm, that word is is the same word that's used for that violent, sudden kind of storm. It was surprising. There was a surprising calm all at once. All at once the storm comes and all at once Jesus says, that's enough and it's over. Just as surprising as the storm was, was the calm that Jesus brought to the storm. The main point on the sea that day was for them to see who Jesus was, to focus on who He is, and to learn to trust Him completely. The main point wasn't even what He did for them in calming the storm, but the main point was who He was and for them to learn to trust Him. And the main point of discipleship, of following Jesus, is to learn and to experience who He is. It was when the disciples got to know Him a little better that their fear could diminish. And so I guess in some ways the the question for the day, almost rhetorical, and and maybe maybe a little smart aleck, and I don't mean it to be. Really. Some of you know me, so yeah, right. But if you know Jesus, 
why are you so afraid? I mean, if you know Jesus, hear, hear, hear his question. Why are you so afraid? I mean, let, let that for just a minute just work on you. And I don't know where that hits you. And like I said, I don't mean to be a smart aleck. I've got to ask myself the same question all the time. Jan, you say, oh, I've got a stressful week. Listen, Jan, we can just exchange notes right here, and I'm with you. You know, it's, uh. And then I get fearful, and I think, what's going to go wrong now? And, oh, woe is me, and everything's awful, and I can't get ahead, and whatever. And I look at this scripture, and the question hits me, if I know Jesus, why on earth am I so afraid? A couple of things that play off of this, and, and, and I'll give you those. I, I want to try to explain them just a little and maybe give you some application and then we'll close. But I, I look at this and I don't see allegory, but I do see some great principles, some great things that we can learn. And I'm just going to use the terminology here that the Scripture gives us. Two things just to challenge us with this morning, that if you know Jesus, why are you so afraid? First is is follow Jesus into the boat. For some, it's the first step. The main point here is about who Jesus is and what kind of authority He has and, and, and the requirements for discipleship and following Him. And they had to get into the boat. They had to keep moving forward with Jesus. They didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't understand it all, but they got in and it kept going. And this morning, I, I, I just I, I would say, do you have the faith just to keep going this morning? Do you have the faith just to keep trusting Jesus this morning? Do you have the faith to trust Him for the first time? Just to get into the boat and keep traveling on. You may say, my life has blown up storm after storm after storm and I'm scared to death. Do you have enough faith this morning simply to say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you one more step along the way. One more trip across the sea, Lord, I'll trust you. Get into the boat with him. The disciples, it said, just followed him right into the boat. Not just blindly, but they knew who they were following, at least to some degree. You may not fully understand everything about Jesus. I'll tell you this, nobody does. He is inexhaustible. You cannot ever learn all there is to know about him, but this morning, would you just take one more step? Just get into the boat and continue to follow him. And then secondly, trust him to get you through the storm. Trust Him to get you through the storm. The disciples had faith. But, but it wasn't the kind of faith that was helping them to endure what they were facing. They needed to know Jesus more completely so that they could trust Him more automatically. And what you're facing right now, listen, what you're facing right now may be the Lord's way of saying, Trust me. Completely. Automatically. Fearlessly. Immediately. Trust me. Maybe all you can do is just say what the disciples said. Lord, save me. Got to give up. I, I can't do it. Save me. Rescue me. Get me out of where I am. Start there. For others, maybe it's time to begin exercising some practical faith in a Savior who has been shown here in Matthew 8 to have power even over the most awful, life-threatening situation that you could ever imagine. Faith that says there's no reason to be afraid when I know Jesus. I may feel fear. 
But when I feel fear, I will practically trust Jesus. I will get back into the boat and move forward with Him. I will trust Him to get me through the storm because He knows more than I do. Because He's in control now just like He was then. And when the storm comes suddenly, I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep obeying Jesus. I'm going to keep praising Him. I'm going to keep thanking Him. I'm going to stop trying to figure it all out. I'm going to learn Jesus. I'm going to learn about His character. I'm going to learn about His will, about His intentions, about His commands. And those will be the things that I practice when I'm scared to death and don't know what to do. I will simply follow Him. If you know Jesus, why would you go through life afraid of anything? Of anyone? Of anything that happens? You say, that seems kind of far-fetched. I'll just admit to you, I'm no good at that. I'm, I'm not. This is a struggle every day, every week, every month to trust Jesus more than I did yesterday. To trust Him when something happens, when I don't know. It's a struggle. I stand on equal ground with you. I... I, I I struggle when it comes to how do you practically trust Jesus. But I'll say this. I'm willing to join in a commitment that says let's keep moving forward. Let's keep trusting Jesus. Let's keep praising Him. Let's keep obeying Him. Let's keep learning Him and knowing Him more. And as a result, we'll trust Him more automatically as time goes on. You have no idea what storm is coming next over the mountain. No clue. You say, oh, I got it all figured out. I got a five-year plan. (laughs) That's good. You don't know what's going to happen, do you? Oh, man, I tell you. I was reading something this morning. It said church ought to be the most honest place in the world, not the happiest place. I can make you happy this morning. They tell you, look, if you just trust Jesus, you'll never have another storm. Guess what? They followed him in a boat and what came over the mountain? Storm. I'll be honest with you, you have no idea what's coming. But you can be prepared by knowing Jesus. You can be prepared by having faith in Him. You're going to have sudden storms in life, and so I say to you, you better know Jesus. You better know Him. You better keep getting to know Him every single day. Follow Him into the boat. Do the things that you know are part of discipleship. Study His Word. Spend time in prayer. Get to know Him. And then trust Him. Practically keep doing those things in the middle of the storm. You've got no idea what's coming, but you can be prepared. You'll have sudden storms in life, so you better know Jesus. Let's pray together.